the almost year off to travel purely because I, at that stage, had no social life. Hey, Weekenders. Welcome back to the Wikihan Photography Podcast, where we share our passion for photography and how photography have given us hope, purpose, and happiness. Now, today, I want to welcome a photographer, an Australian photographer, um, who have been crushing it in his categories, uh, which is really unique categories and something that I actually um, haven't come across with, uh, haven't come across to um, until later in my photography um, journey. So it's quite interesting to to see that side of the photography itself. Um, so today we have Steve Scalon. Is that did, did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. Well done. Perfect. Well done. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. How you How you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. Doing great. I do have a bit of a croaky voice, so hopefully your listeners can make sense of me and my Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. Oh, look, see, like my Australian also come out. <laughs> I, as soon as I talk to other Australian, I start pump up. Like, it know, comes like, back. No worries as well. So. All right. Well, um, yeah. Welcome, welcome to the show and really excited to have you here and have a chat. Um, about your journey as well as some of the project that you have um, been involved to. Um, so I met you on 730 Project Street and mm. that was a while back. It was probably two years ago. I'm going to say two years ago as well. Yeah. yeah, it yeah, has it been a while. Before I came here, so definitely about two years ago. Um, but, well... Before we get into that project street, share us a little bit more about yourself and um, how you find this, um, not only your passion in photography, but also this really niche um, in, in photography world of urban landscape. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so I have been part of the photographic industry Oh, coming up to well over 25 years now or something ridiculous. So ever since I pretty much left school, um, I started working in commercial labs. Uh, back then, there was no digital, or if there was, it was in its infancy. So I was um, preparing film, E6 slide, all of that type of thing for other pros um, in, in commercial labs in Sydney. Uh, so that kind of led me on the pathway and I always had an interest within photography. I was doing jobs and assisting as, at the same time as I was doing that as well as studying. Um, so when I hit my 30s, um, I purchased a wedding studio and delved into that for about 12 years, uh, 12 or 15. And that was great. That actually taught me absolutely everything I could in terms of getting the shot uh, no matter what. So you, you cannot obviously postpone a wedding because it's raining or there's floods or, or what have you. So you just have to make do. <laughs> Dealing with many different personalities and and all that type of thing. So I'm very grateful. I don't do weddings anymore. Um, even when people beg me, it's like, no, I'm sorry. I just, I just don't do it. <laughs> Uh, it was a great time in my life. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely moved on now. Uh, but I am very grateful for it because it taught me absolutely everything I needed to know. 
um, about photography and how to get around the biggest part of the problem of photography, which is problem solving. So, so do you? Um, I do yeah. You get out, sorry to interrupt you there a little bit, though. But do you decide to move on and not shoot wedding anymore because of the pressure pressure associated with it, or is there a, a different reason why you don't do that anymore? Ah, such a great question. It was a number of different reasons. Um, I started to close my wedding business um, in 2008. So it was around about the GFC was happening. Uh, weddings took a slump. Um, in Australia, it didn't really affect us that much, but the confidence sort of went out of the market. Uh, and I was by that stage i was easily working or oh, 80 hours a week uh, just on my business in my business i had six staff uh, it was quite a very it was a large wedding business um i will admit it was and it was exactly what i wanted it was like my dream studio all of that beautiful stuff it was great um so i'd been running it along nicely for about 10 years but i felt like i was getting tired um, I I was photographing other people's briefs, essentially. So a bride and groom come in. I'm not necessarily photographing me uh, to be part of that day. I'm photographing them, their personalities, which is exactly what I think a wedding photographer should do. Really listening to the couple, getting the best out of them, their families, so on and so forth. So I wasn't really shooting for myself at all. And it was really affecting my passion and my motivation for photography. So I did decide to, now all of this was in Sydney, um, in New South Wales. Uh, so I actually decided to move down to Melbourne. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of like moving from, it's a terrible analogy, but kind of like moving from Toronto to to Montreal <laughs> in a way. So um, so there, there was a, a very big kind of um, push towards doing that. The, the wonderful or horrible thing about it all is that I just couldn't end the business because many brides had booked like 18 months in advance. So I was constantly flying up to Sydney and, and uh, Newcastle to, to photograph these last weddings. So it took about two years to eventually wind up. Um, but when I moved down to Melbourne, I then just started to completely travel. Um, I, almost, I took a year off and just traveled the world um, and really just started finding myself. It was great. Uh, from then on in, what I do now ever since 2009 um, is photograph architecture and um, they're basically all my clients. So I rarely photograph people much anymore and I kind of like it. <laughs> so I photograph a lot of interiors, um, a lot of architecture, a lot of post-production in video too now. It's it's great. Drone work. That's yeah, so that that's my last 10 years or so. That's very interesting because um, so, you know, like um, I used to be an engineer and I kind of found um, photography and have that as a passion and sort of decide to pursue that full time. But from the sound of it, um, you know, your wedding photography days was like your nine to five for me. 
you know, it's still photography, but not necessarily doing the things that you want to do or things that you're passionate about. So that's actually really interesting to see that, that like, you know, you're actually in photography world, but you know, just because you're in photography world doesn't mean you're going to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't bitter about it all. But I think if I was doing it right up until this day, I would my my viewpoint and the thought process on wedding days and that type of thing would have definitely changed. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I got out at the good time, I think, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. myself, that is before you fully burn it, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so you, you you say that after that you took you took time some time off to to find yourself and just travel um how how does that journey um um yeah share us a little bit more about the journey and does it really affect um where you are right now in terms of what you do for uh, in photography oh such a great question yes absolutely 100 percent uh so being a wedding photographer as anybody listening out there if if you do aspire to be a wedding photographer almost all of your social life on weekends doesn't exist with family and friends because you're out there working while everybody else is partying um, hence almost the year off i think it was about nine months i went to travel um, hence the the almost year off to travel purely because i at that stage had no social life I was literally working 80 hours a week and I did love it. Um, it. You know, when you're nurturing your own business and seeing it grow and keeping it run, um, it is fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a very um, deliberate decision. And what I did was what I immediately found freeing was I didn't have to uh, shoot to anybody's brief anymore. So I could just go out, walk around the block, for example, I didn't have to travel anywhere, uh, walk around the block and just photograph, you know, the cracks in the in the footpath and, and things like that, just looking at shapes and just going out and it's okay if I missed the sunset or, or you know what I mean, there, there was, there was no kind of consequence. And that's what I found completely freeing. And it was something that I didn't do like the previous 10 years or so, because I was always like every ounce of energy I had always went back into the business and the, the wedding realm. Um, so I made a conscious decision. I've simplified my life very, um, very nicely now, which is great. I teach um, a day or two a week. Uh, and 2020 has been very interesting because uh, everything has been on Zoom and uh, practical classes and all that type of thing. So that's been a wonderful challenge. I love it. Um, but I, I get immense pleasure of helping others learn photography. Um, and I also have now just started photographing myself, uh, sorry, for myself in the last 10 years, but now have attracted uh, clients that like that look and want to actually photograph their landscape properties, um, like landscape designers, interior designers, um, architects. And so now that's my realm. So I have found that that beautiful synergy where the things that I actually now love to do 
I can more or less do personally and still make money out of it as well, which is great. That's amazing to hear. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of on that journey trying to find that um, midpoint of where I enjoy it and have that balance. And um, one of the thing that I think one of the, the decision that I did right when I left my job was that I promised myself that I will, I will not do a thing for the sake of money, um, you know, which a lot of us do, right? Yes. We, 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 we give away to that, you know, it's like, okay, it's fine. I'll just do this for a little bit and, you know, it'll make me money. And then after a while it will, it will be okay, but it's, it never is. That's, that's what I learned. So I actually, um, you know, I've, I've tried a lot of different photography, not, not, not wedding yet, actually, but I try <laughs> different photography. Um, you know, I've tried like high fashion portraits, um, um, real estate, um, Mm. Um, commercial and stuff like that. And I, I never really pursue it because um, I feel like if I were to pursue it, it's going to be like that nine to five feeling again, where I was just doing it for the money. Right. So um, it's, it's been a long, like kind of like discovery um, and journey. And um, it's, it's cool to hear that point of view from, 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 um, from your story, because um, it, I think a lot of people out there have that same thought about yeah it's okay you know i'll just do wedding because wedding is where the money's at or that's what everyone say right <laughs> the wedding is where yes the yeah <laughs> and it's like i just do wedding but three years later that's all you know how to do because all your portfolio is around the wedding so yeah how, how do you find that balance how, what what sort of advice would you give you know the the, the people who kind of started off this notion of doing it for the pay, a passion but then start selling out for the money um how do you find that balance um especially during the you know like a, where you are right now is perfect because you you kind of gone through it all and you'll finally find that um uh, the paradise that that works right but mm. a lot of people that started with the, and when they're in the mid messy middle what are they need to do? Uh, what do they need to do to to find that balance? Yes. Oh, there's so many great things and such a good question. Awesome, Stanley. This is brilliant. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I wanted, I had this um, and very false um, idea in my head way back when and I'm talking 2000. So 2000, 2001 is when I actually started the wedding business um, and kind of grew it from there. I had this false um, ideal in my head that I wasn't a, a photographer until I had this big studio and staff and I was making X amount of dollars per year and, and so on and so forth. So that was, um, and it, it was all achievable. It was all kind of working towards that. But that is what actually motivated me to to grow my business and, and kind of go at it that way. Um, what I ended up doing was creating this massive beast that just didn't stop running. So what I mean by that is it's kind of like when you start a motor, um, you're kind of getting, it needs to be fed. 
So, the, and I'm talking about cash flow and, and bookings and sales and all that type of thing. So the larger I got, the harder it was to actually um, step away from it and move away from it or even try to slow it down. So it kind of, and it was good. It, it, it did grow rapidly, my, my wedding business, um, like over the 10 years or so. Um, and it was great. It was absolutely everything I wished for. But when I was in it, it was like, oh, wow, this is consuming me. And even though I had like a, um, I had three wedding photographers, two of those were just contractors. Um, I had a full-time graphic designer that was all um, organizing all the albums. I did have a sales and admin person that would take care of a little bit of uh, that type of um, thing for album sales and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I also learned not, well, I know now, but I also found it very difficult to delegate, especially when it came to the finer retouching, because that's what people were hiring us for. It was for our particular style, the look of the images, so on and so forth. So in hindsight, I should have outsourced that far better than I did. Uh, and then that would have stopped that kind of burning out, um, which I was experiencing towards the end. The beautiful thing about what I have done and my biggest um, advice is to figure out what you want and then do whatever you can to do it. Uh, it may not actually be exactly what you want once you actually do it, <laughs> if that makes sense. So I was very pleased and very satisfied that I had like a 400 square meter studio. It was massive. I had a beautiful cyclorama, so on and so forth. That was my dream studio. Now that I had it, it was kind of like in the bag. I was satisfied from the soul and um, I was ready to move on. So I'm, jump, I'm jumping now to like 12 years later now. And essentially, I don't own a studio. I have very little overheads. I've got this beautiful um, set up office in my home. Um, I don't need to photograph people anymore. So I don't need a, a kind of massive amounts of gear. I rarely like I have all my studio gear and medium format gear. I rarely bring it out um, only for the odd one or two jobs. Um, yeah, so I've really simplified my life. Uh, and I love it. Absolutely love it. So what I ended up doing was diversifying. So I really, around about that time, I've been teaching now for about 10 years. So one of the things that I started to pursue was a lot more of my time. <clears throat> and so I applied to teach at a um, college, uh, a TAFE. And um, I did that only one day a week for maybe three or four years. When I moved down here, um, I started doing it more as well. So one to two days. And I really found that that huge satisfaction. The beauty of it is as well, it was always kind of that little bit of income too. So I didn't need to have massive sales and, and you know, keep this beast running like I had to. Um, many years before with the with the studio. 
So it all depends on what you're after. That's that's the biggest thing. One thing that you should do is really have a very strong plan and think about if you do want this beast of a business, um, you do actually need very strong plans in order to feed it. <laughs> very much so. So it's OK to have a, like a multi-story studio. Uh, you just need to know the consequences that kind of come with that. That's that's a really good advice. Um, it's it's so funny because as you say it, um, I just remember the phrase of you know, be careful what you wish for, and yeah, <laughs> exactly. It like and it's really appropriate for this one. <laughs> exactly, and I I have no regrets. I think if I didn't do it, um, I would still be regretting it and still wanting it. But now that I had lived through the whole thing, um, it's like you know what. I do not want a studio ever again because I I loved it. I did it. It was the perfect time in my life for it. I had a lot of energy back then. Um, and it's like now, no, it's all about simplification and, and kind of the quality of life now. Yeah, it's um, it's that whole transformation, right? Because um, we, 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 we chase, we often chase that one thing and then we, we realize on the back end there's actually you know what, that's not what we're actually after. So I'm so glad that you uh, managed to find that. I think um, a lot of people, not only in photography world, but just in general, um, yeah. struggle to find, to be able to find that or have the courage to let go of those um, those big beasts that you say that <laughs> the more you make money, the more you need to put money in it. <laughs> that it just kind yes. of stops. Oh, definitely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> So a lot of a lot of your photo, um, actually quite interesting to to see this connection, and I'm 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 wondering if this is true. Um, when I see some of your photos, um, they're very simplified. Um, you know, very mm. very fine art, very um, um, really high quality, but really simplified. Um, sometimes, I mean, when I first saw, saw some of your photos, it was just like taken away you just shoot like a corner of building i'm just like wow like never in a million years i would take photo like that like honestly if i'd never seen your photo i would i would that would never come in my in my mind at all like just like wow like seriously like a pole like a pole <laughs> you, know? like, you make a pole Thank beautiful you. it's like how does that happen <laughs> and um is this like you you know you're you're this this simplify um way of of capturing the world around you does that go back or relate it to how you try to simplify your life as well oh 100 absolutely so everything was very frenetic when i was doing weddings and yet again i was in that perfect mindset where i loved it but as i was not loving it much anymore and actively finding how to close it um the, the travel kind of really led me because I, I didn't end up traveling for like well over 10 years because of the wedding business. You know, I couldn't go any further away from my business than like a week, for example. So um, hence the, the really long um, enjoyed <laughs> break. And one thing that really struck me was that coming back to that whole um, there was no brief. I wasn't shooting for clients anymore. I was literally just going out um, 
with my camera and it's like I have absolutely no plans. I don't know where I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go straight out of my hotel room and I either turn left or I turn right. Either one, it's going to be interesting. And so my early work, um, I was thinking too much. So um, I was like trying to get absolutely every bit of detail in or, you know, do the, the kind of sightseeing thing. I think I, I went to the States basically um, and spent a good couple of months there to begin with. So my first stop uh, was San Fran and, you know, just kind of walking in and around Union Square and, and kind of uh, around market and that type of thing. You're trying to grab the whole feeling of San Francisco and, and so on and so forth. So the when it really struck me was when I flew into Chicago. And as you know, Australia doesn't get a lot of snow. Um, but it was it was in the dead of winter in Chicago. And um, to me, th this was new and exciting. Like I, I'm sure, you know, locals there, it's like, oh, no, you know, I can't go to work for weeks on end because of snowings and, and things like that. But for me, it was a playground. Um, so I the beauty of what happened there was I didn't have to think much anymore because the bl huge blankets of snow minimalized every scene for me. So that's how I started to see the, the kind of simplification of it all. And I ended up getting a full, um, like this very first time that I actually walked down um, Lake Michigan, it was, oh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it's only about 500 meters uh, down towards maybe a pier. And uh, within that 500 meters or so, I ended up getting a full uh, exhibition, uh, which I ended up exhibiting a number of years later, probably about three or four years. And it was called White. And it was just probably easily 19 to 24 images, just of really clean, beautiful um, white images. Uh, and then that's what really started to excite me. It's like, this is completely different from the weddings that I was doing. And that kind of led me down the road of just simplifying absolutely everything um, within a, a particular scene. So what I do now, and just to put this into words, is if I'm looking at parkland and with some buildings, for example, I don't see a green hedge as a whole bunch of little bushes with leaves and twigs and branches. All I see is a rectangle that is a building block for composition. So likewise with a pole, I don't see, you know, a, a timber tree trunk that had been shaped into a pole or whether it be metal or, or wood. Um, all I see is a vertical line and I use that straight line um, in in a composition. So I'm turning 3D complex visual elements into a really simple two-dimensional image. And that's basically all I do. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. How did you actually, um, is there like, um, is there any anyone that inspires you to, to, to do this kind of photo or is that that time in, Chicago pretty much just 
transform the way you look at things um, altogether. Yeah, it, it really did. There was one image, um, and I call it affinity. Uh, and it's basically a, a, a white image, and it is a very small person uh, walking through on a pathway with a couple of really tall buildings in the background. So that was the image that I guess got sold the most and I kind of won a few awards around that time. Uh, this probably would have been about 2012, 2012, something like that. <clears throat> and that was really the defining point that that kind of image set me on a path to to really kind of continue down the the realm of shooting and, and things like that. Uh, so the beauty of it is I was still photographing at that stable um, and product photography and all that type of thing. But the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to actually incorporate architecture um, and interiors into my commercial work, um, purely because it just felt like a really good synergy for the type of things that I was shooting for myself. Cool. So it's uh wow that's quite interesting and um and before that before that point in time um is is mostly what what type of photography do you do like you know between um, when you start that travel until you find that um that um that time in Chicago um what is it more like just like a street photography and like documentary type of type of thing. Yeah, for, for my own, the beauty of it is I definitely made more time for myself. And that's where the passion started coming back. I delved deeper into teaching and um, I, I th this is actually the one bit that I do regret. And this was for the money. But when I moved down here to Melbourne, I was actually subcontracting for other wedding photographers. <laughs> so that was good. It was because I, I did um because i was experienced in it they didn't have to worry about it, absolutely anything and it's not that i'm a good wedding photographer i just know how to make people feel comfortable in front of the camera and i think that's even more important than the photography you take so it's all about dealing with personalities and making them feel comfortable that's if you want to be an amazing wedding photographer i think that's far more important than the photography you actually take uh, making people feel completely comfortable and open and trusted. Um, so I was very good at that. And I, I guess I still am. Um, yeah, so that's, it was great because all I had to do was kind of meet the bride and groom, um, really get along with them, have a whole heap of fun and do their actual wedding, hand all the images back to the studio that I was subcontracting for, and then kind of forget about it. It was, it was great. So I was doing that, knowing that it was a means to an end. It was kind of just like a stepping stepping stone. Um, at that same time, I was gathering my own work uh, through architects. Um, I was doing a lot of product back then as well. Not so much now at all. Um, yeah, but but a lot of product photography, which was great. Um, I could easily set up a very small kind of product table and just go at that. It was very mindless. I do love um, product photography. Not, 
I do love the, the kind of whole advertising aspect of it, but these were just very mindless, you know, photograph hundreds of little glass vases or whatever it might be. So you get the lighting just right and then you just kind of go left and right for about five or six hours, just photographing every single one. I love that type of work. It's, it's a no-brainer. So, um, yeah, I don't even know if I answered that question. <laughs> okay, so basically you try a whole bunch of stuff after um, after that wedding, um, including product, I'm guessing. Cool. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. I guess um, um, I want to talk a little bit about that Project 730 um, Street. Um, yes. And um, that was such a fun project, um, something that, really out of my comfort zone. I really don't know if I wanted to take that um, because I'm, I'm more of a nature and landscape photographer and yes. more of um, urban and street photography. And I, was, I wasn't sure how I feel about that, but I, I know that, um, you know, trying new things really like, um, like you, you find things that you love and you don't like about new things so that's why I was like you know what I'm just gonna jump on it and I actually awesome. quite enjoy that street photography um side of um of, of it um side um you know street photography genre side of it and I actually quite enjoyed a lot and it was a really good um for a good purpose as well so um do you want to share us a little bit more about what is um project street 730 project is it project 730 street or project street 730? yeah so we just call it project street now right. uh because there was a lot of confusion about the 730 okay. <laughs> which i'll explain i'll okay. I will explain so, yeah explain uh, can i just say i i okay. do remember your image if it was it like a wide angle like a super wide angle almost like a 360 degree it was a fish i uh it had this I was a fish eye yes and I'm so glad that you did that because I do hear a lot like about how terrified people are and not just yourself but everybody on the day whether they're they're kind of just you know just starting photography or seasoned professionals I think everyone is kind of crapping their pants a little bit because there's so much pressure and it's great but it's fun pressure yeah yeah for sure <laughs> the way it all started was um i was trying different things um whilst living in melbourne so i was building up a good contact of other photographers and a great network we were starting to become friends um and i made friends with a fashion photographer uh that she's amazing she was she's kind of fashion slash stylist um, and we were talking and I, I mentioned to her, wouldn't it be fun if we got one model, um, uh, one makeup artist and one designer. So those three didn't change. And we got eight photographers and we gave each other 20 minutes each. We locked each other out of the room uh, so nobody could see what we were doing. And let's see how different the results were. And it was incredible. Uh, the like all of us had obviously the same model to work with, the same gown, or the it was more or less a, a kind of outfit. And it was great, absolutely great. Every single image was completely different. And 
I love the energy that that was producing because everybody was really nervous. Um, you know, they didn't know what, what they were going to do yet. There was pressure. It was like 20 minutes. Are you kidding? Only 20 minutes. So when I was having a chat to Craig Wetchen, so that, that's kind of where the premise come from. Um, and we didn't really do too much more after that for the fashion uh, kind of kind of realm. I think we called that eight to one. So eight photographers, one model, essentially. Um, so Craig Wetchen and I are the, the co-founders of Project Street. And we have done, I'm going to say probably about eight cities. I could be wrong on that. We were meant to do uh, Brisbane in 2020, but hence the coronavirus and the, the kind of lockdowns that have happened. Uh, we've still got everyone booked. We're hopefully going to be starting that mid-year this year, if all goes well. And there's vaccines that are working and so on and so forth. Um, so essentially what we did was get together and start this particular uh, idea where we invite... it. I only more or less wanted about 15 photographers because I, I was thinking trying to juggle 30 uh, is incredible. Uh, but the what ended up happening, it was all for charity. So we it was a non not for profit. Um, if anything, in the beginning, we were actually putting money into it, uh, especially things like website registration and, and stuff like that. But basically, the two of us come from different parts of the realm. He, uh, so Craig Wetchen is a very successful uh, publisher. He, he, and is great with fundraising, where I come from a very um, logistical sort of realm, where I was good with systems and running printers and computers and juggling people and, and things like that. So I don't think I could have done it without him, especially for the fundraising um, benefits of it all, because that's where his experience came in. Um, and Craig is also a teacher, also a kind of tertiary teacher as well. So the two of us kind of got together and it's like, yeah, this is fantastic. And so we started looking for um, art galleries. And this one particular art gallery that we did really want was essentially $3,000 to hire for the two weeks and, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of where the 30 uh, people sort of come along. It's like, okay, we're going to charge $100. Uh, I think now it's 120 especially when we were traveling. Um, but yeah, basically it's essentially $100 um, you get to participate with this uh, all the printing and all the um the kind of paper is donated which is fabulous um i'm fortunate enough to be an ilford ambassador um and kind of affiliated with epson as well so i kind of got them on board rather quickly which is great and they were all for it absolutely all for it so never had a problem with the inks or the paper um, or even the, the printers to operate it in many different cities, which was fabulous. Because, uh, yeah, that logistically that could have been really tricky. And it was a couple of times. But um, that's why we, I guess we kept it to small A2 printers instead of large prints, so on and so forth, which was also a time-based thing. 
So essentially, um, for those of you that don't know what Project Street is, uh, we invite 30 photographers um, in one particular city to meet at 7.30 a.m. in the um, at one given location, pretty much just to meet each other, uh, get a large group shot, and then essentially we disperse and try and get our best photograph within maybe about three to four hours. What happens then is uh, we all reconvene back at either a gallery or the place where we're going to be running the event, and it is later that night. Um, and everyone's encouraged to kind of work together to um, edit their one image. What they end up doing is giving their image to me. And that whole process has, had gotten better now. Now it's just like a Dropbox link where you just upload and it all comes rushing to me, which is fabulous. Where before it was just madly running around with USB sticks and <laughs> it just didn't work. So essentially, once we have these 30 images, uh, by the way, Craig and I are also part of that. Um, then we start to print them. Um, and we print them for charity. So there's already a whole bunch of people coming that night and that starts at 7.30 p.m. Uh, so we've got this essential 12 hour uh, gap where we need to photograph, print, hang, and then exhibit and auction every single image for the night. So once, um, and we got pretty good at kind of getting donations from wine wineries and um, you know food and and things like that uh, but essentially what we did was at 7:30 we started auctioning off each piece and um, all of it was done for charity so normally the charities that we invited were either from um, either street homelessness, youth homelessness, um, even perhaps cancer research, things like that. So we would always try and get a representative to be there on the night with their own merchant facilities. So whoever kind of was the winning bid on that night, they essentially get their image, we wrap it up for them, and then they pay the, the actual charity then and there. The beauty of that is I didn't want to kind of collect the money and then handle it and do all that type of thing. So that way, once the event's over, it's kind of over, which is which is great. It didn't work that way in the beginning, but that's kind of how we, we sort of worked on it throughout the, the years. And I think the first one we did, I could be wrong, I think it was 2017, which was in Melbourne. And yeah, we just kind of kept going on from there. So um, yeah, it's such a great cause because as you would have felt, it's so terrifying yet challenging. You're, you're scared but excited. You know, it's all of these emotions in order to get the, the kind of desired result that you're after. And then when you see it finished in that very same day, you kind of feel really great about yourself and inspired and... So that was kind of my premise for the whole thing, just complete satisfaction all around. And it's like a win-win for the greater good. It just, yeah, it's great. Yeah, so good. Cool, cool, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like the experience itself, just, um, I don't think I've ever shot that many photos in, um, in that 
in that like really intense time to be honest it's crazy and the amount of photos that i was able to get was just crazy it was like from architecture to like this like street people that doing this funny stuff and um yes it's it's really cool and um i really enjoy that actually i really enjoy that um so um yeah thanks a lot for sharing that and um i think that the one thing that um i would i would highly encourage other people to take away from this is um to get out of your comfort zone like um you know try new things um even though you might not like it at the end of the uh, you know the shoot you will find some sort of inspiration and um i i've been meaning to um if when i get a chance to travel around asia again where there's a lot of people because right here in mm. the mountain there's not many people at the moment <laughs> but i've been wanting to kind of you know do a little bit more of that street photography um and dwell into that a little bit i find that quite interesting too observe um just strangers doing what they're doing and it's it's almost so natural to everyone but when you watch it you go like wow do i actually do that <laughs> it's like it's crazy yes yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely <laughs> now i i think delving out of your comfort zone is such a healthy healthy thing to do because once it's all over your comfort zone is now so much wider and you feel far more comfortable to jump out just that little bit more. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, it was that was definitely my um, my introduction to street and urban photography. I don't think I've ever done oh, that before. Yeah, fabulous! And your work was amazing. So well done. <laughs> Thanks. I I just shot a bunch of stuff and hoping this one turned out well. And that's what you do. <laughs> Actually, the hardest thing out of that challenge was picking the one that was the hardest thing like yes and um i'm sure that um you know like you're you come across this um all the time especially for example when you create exhibition or your photo book and um that was always a challenge of you know what's gonna make it in there and what's not gonna make it in there um mm. you want to share us a little bit of tips of um you know how do you um how do you find so you know for listeners out there um they might be a hobbyist that like try to um get a little bit more rich and send it to a newspaper for example or yeah. maybe they just want to um send it to this um competition and see where um how far they've come and so forth how um what sort of advice would you give them in um in actually curating the the photo um that is best for for those particular theme or um, competition or so forth yes oh such a good question you're right on the good questions today <clears throat> so you're right i think the hardest job any photographer has is choosing their one photo like it's like why does it have to be one uh, you know like why can't i supply 12 uh so on and so forth it's like i can't give this one up so on and so forth so um a lot of my students really have that um huge huge dilemma as well but i i kind of make it an exercise it's like th this is going to be the hardest thing one of the hardest things that you do um so let's 
kind of put it down into logistics. What I would do is number one, think about, um, or oh, there's probably three things that you should think of. Number one is think about carefully where you want this one particular photo to go. So if people on the day at Project Street were asking, oh, which one do you like? I've got three images here. Um, there's this one, there's that one, and there's that one. The first thing I would say is, um, number one, take your own emotion out of it. So that's like, stop and step back. Number two, think about the motives of what you're, you're actually supplying the image for. In Project Street's case, um, the images were to appear on somebody else's wall. So a beautiful street portrait of somebody pouring coffee, for example, may not be as um, likely to get a higher price than perhaps something more a little bit architectural or, or something like that. So your motive, the second one is choose your motive very carefully. However, if it was for a documentary um, competition, then that would be the one that you would end up choosing. And then number three, which I think is the most important thing, once you've made those two decisions, number three is bring your all your emotion back into it. And everybody has a couple of images where you you get excited just by looking at it. It's almost like you can't leave the photo alone. You're opening it up in Photoshop again. You're kind of just zooming in at 800% and you're just retouching it a little bit. You zoom it back out and you're just loving yourself sick over that image. So they're the images that for some reason have really kind of connected with you. They more often than not will also reconnect strongly with somebody else. So that is also another thing to think about. But if it is um, like your most favorite image of your pet that you love dearly, for example, or your kids or your grandkids, um, then it, it may not have that same bundled emotion to somebody else because they're not your grandkids, so on and so forth. But yeah, so those three things. So think about who is going to see it. Think about the motive of why you're supplying an image. Take all of that emotion away. So those two decisions should be completely logical. And then you bring in your own emotion and go at it that way. That's kind of how I choose images for awards, so on and so forth. In my point of view, because I am actually a judge at most of the, the major um, competitions as well, I would ask myself, what would a judge say about this image? And so I completely wipe my own emotion away from it. It's like, no, nope, the composition's off on this. Um, you know, the, the hand is in front of the face too much or... Um, you know, it's slightly out of focus here and it's drawing the viewer away too much to that spot. It's not good enough. So on and so forth. So even though you took six hours to wait there in the freezing cold to get just that one image, and that's why you're so emotionally attached to it. Anybody else that if you put yourself in a situation where you're 
having your images judged, which is a, yet again a very brave yet very strong thing I think everyone should do to increase your, um, your comfort zone. Um, think about that the the person that's judging it has no idea of the, the torture that you went through to get that image. So you've also got to remove that emotion away from it. So emotion removal is yeah. my biggest. Yeah, take that's, that emotion away from it. That's definitely the hardest. And like you say, like, you know, when you when you take a photo and you go through like, it's like sometimes that photo is just a, well, the way I see it anyway, is a photo is like a, 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 um, um, an, a medal, you know, like you, you go through this experience and you capture it. And that's like, that's my memento that I get to preserve for the rest of my life. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, you're right. It's very difficult to take away that, um, that emotion um, of you taking it and it's really hard not to be biased um so yeah really good advice and uh you know um how i decide my photo that day i i think i went from like about a thousand or something like that to like 500 and i was like holy and i was like okay i need to be like ruthless and then after that it's still about about a hundred and then so I go from oh, wow. one star to two star to three star to four star. And then by the time I got to five star, there's still like 25 of them. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, guys, can you see which one you like the most? It's like, okay, yeah, that's the one that I like the most. That's it. I'm printing it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, oh, that's, uh, and that's a great, yeah, bring in some really harsh kind of people usually it's spouses <laughs> spouses is like nah i don't like that at all <laughs> so yeah they, they speak the truth <laughs> well, at least my one does anyway <laughs> that's uh, that's that's um great um advice and suggestion um so coming to our um end to the podcast here and i always ask this to all of um people that i interviewed um if you were to have um, one thing and um, that you could, one advice that you could give other photographers out there now, it doesn't matter if they're beginner, advanced or intermediate, but what is the one advice that you feel most important to you um, that you, that you feel that it doesn't matter where they are or it doesn't matter where they go? they should hear this one advice. What would that be? Ah, love it. Yep, I've got it. Um, it's one that took me many years to stop doing, and that's to stop looking at other photographers' work. So that, um, yeah, that, and I did that very early, like stopped looking at other photographers' work. And the reason I do it it may not work for everyone, but this is what I would ask everyone to try is you start looking at other um, influences. Like for me, major influences are movies, music. I also play uh, musical instruments as well. So that's a huge part of what I do. I can kind of see sound. We'll get into that, like color and sound and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, the biggest, what I discovered was my own work started becoming more unique 
when I stopped looking at other people's work. Yeah, so that that's my big, just try it. Try it for, you need to give it a good block of time. Try it for about six months and see where it had led you. That's, that's very interesting um, because in my journey, you know, like early on on my stage, that's all I did. And that's where I realized I've, um, I need to make a change because all my photos become an Instagram photo that everybody else takes just better. Yeah. And it, it has become a really hard um, balance, I suppose, um, finding that this other people photo can work as inspiration but at the same time it can give you this really close-mindedness of what you should get so very so true brian bring that up um cool um yeah so um thanks a lot for all that advice um and do you want to share a little bit because you did mention there about you know seeing sound and color um so do you want to like finish that point off so that people then <laughs> i know yeah so i i had been i'm a bass player and have been since my early early teens <clears throat> i'm terrible at it now but i used to be quite good because i don't practice anymore <laughs> but um one of my influences has never really been photographers anyway. Um, of course, there's the greats um, that everybody loves. Uh, but essentially, I hear music um, and can kind of associate uh, colour. The only way I can really um, describe it is happy equals yellow. Um, sad is blue, so on and so forth. So it's, it is kind of the typical color theory that I, I think we all know. But yeah, when I can kind of see it in real time when listening to, to music. Uh, and that kind of helps me put together a lot of color sequences and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, that's, that, that's as far as I'm going into that because I, I don't really know how to explain it properly yet. <laughs> so without getting myself into too much trouble, uh, yeah, <laughs> but try it and try it. So kind of mix those senses up. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's actually very true. I mean, uh, you know, even when you just say that, I feel like, you know, when you, when you listen to, to a music, you, there is, there is a, a theme in mind of what that should be, what that should look like as a picture. So that's quite yeah. interesting. I might actually try that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's never it's almost like meditating. Uh-huh. So yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for all of your wisdom and your um your advices as well as sharing your um experience on um you know the struggles, the successes and um where you end up um, you know, at the end of it. Um so that was great to hear all that and I'm sure the listeners would be ecstatic um, to um, know a little bit more about you and some of more of uh, some more of some more of your work. Oh, I just bundle off the words there. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> where is the best? How can they best find you? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I'm I'm trying to get better at social media. I think I don't think I've posted on Instagram for months. Um, so my website is stevescalone.com 
Um, I also have a um, an online store, which is called smallartphoto.com. And then there's projectstreet.com.au. So when is your- And that, that will actually show you everything about every little city that we had gone to so far. Your work's tucked away in there somewhere, which is great. <laughs> Where is your next Project Street? Yes, well, it's it was meant to be up in Brisbane in April of 2020. So we're hoping to get there around about the, the June 2021. So everybody's more or less locked in. Uh, we're just waiting for, for things to settle down a little bit with a pandemic uh, before we kind of bring large groups of people together and things like that. That's awesome. So, yes. One per, per year? Is that is that what you're doing? Or? We usually aim to, yes. We're hoping to get over to the States. Um, yet again, I think that will be well into 2022. Um, we did have plans to actually do a WPPI um, Project Street, um, which would have been amazing. So that is still on the cards. We just have to kind of wait till the world gets back to normal just that little bit. But yeah, uh, we've done New Zealand uh, and we were hoping to do New Zealand again once per year as well. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here. And um, that was great. Um, yeah, so Wikianthus, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much. Um, um, thanks to Steve for sharing all that advices as well as insight on his journey. And it is quite interesting to um, hear a lot of that story. Um, and also um, there's a lot of takeaway tuck in there. So if you listen to this, um, feel free to drop us a line and let us know, um, you know, if you find this helpful, um, you know, if you find this to be inspirational or, you know, if you just find it to be educational altogether. Now, <clears throat> yeah, um, if you tuning in on the podcast, um, I'll see you next week. But if you're in, um, in uh, YouTube, don't forget to subscribe so that you get notified the next time I put a video out. And Steve, thank you very much for being here again um, to spare some of your time for being here and sharing your wisdom. That was amazing. Thanks so much, Stanley. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much. And until next time.